You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Well, hello, John Brazier. Tom Burgoyne, how are you? All right. We're back, another podcast, and we are excited. We had Jim Salisbury last week, which we loved, and we have yet another person that's uh, an esteemed writer, TV commentator, uh, just uh, a Hall of Famer. Hall of Famer. Jason Stark. Let's bring him on right now. Yeah. Jason, how you doing? Gentlemen, what an honor to be part of this podcast. Thanks for having me. Well, we skipped skip Denenberg, too, introducing our show. How about that? I know you're a big music fan. Skip, skip thanks for introducing the show. Jason, as crazy and as strange as this season has been, pandemic baseball, 60 games, uh, you know, you're doing interviews over Zoom, you name it. But is being interviewed by John Brazier and Tom Burgoyne on a podcast the strangest part of this season? <laughs> I mean... The strangest part, <laughs> like the bar is pretty high. <laughs> the strangeness never stops in this season. I mean, just like, you know, this season is so made for me in its own bizarre way. So this just fits right in. I have to tell you, Jason, uh, and we're let's just jump right into this season. When MLB came out with all these different uh, rule changes, and the one where you got to start a guy at second base in extra innings, the first, and I'm, I'm telling you the truth, the first thing that came to my mind was, I wonder what Jason thinks of this. <laughs> oh. Yeah, yeah I've gotten a lot of mileage out of that. Uh, like, we've seen some stuff that has never before been seen in history. And I live for that stuff. Like, we, we had one at Citizens Bank Park. We, we had the first run side the park homer who lead off an inning for hit. Of course, one reason is it would have been impossible to do that a month ago. I don't care. <laughs> like, I, I'm just trying to keep track of the stuff that never, ever happened, and now it's suddenly happening. So we had lead off two run inside the park homer. We had an extra inning homer in the eighth inning. That was good um we had one just the other day where all right when the runner shows up on second base the ghost runner as my pal glanville likes to say uh he's automatically an unearned run right this is in an orioles blue jays game but now that run scores on an error with davis to the orioles if it's already unearned do unearned runs? What do we do with that? Is that unearned so, square? Uh, we, we, that's what we came up with. Unearned squared. It was like an old Einstein concept. Right. Squared. Right? So, and with a DH in the National that's League, old, that's that's giving you some more material as well. Yeah, yeah but, you, you know, the, that comes with the loss of modern folklore. You know, like... I understand that nobody really misses pitcher hitting except me. <laughs> right? But when Bartolo Colon hits a home run, you know how much mileage I get yeah. out of something like that? Right? When Madison Bumgarner hits two home runs on opening day, you know how awesome that is for me? Like, think of all the material I've gotten out of, like, Larry Anderson in hitting or whatever it was he did up His there. His average. Through all the years. So. <laughs> Well, Larry got a hit in nineteen nineteen. Larry got a hit in nineteen ninety three for that team. So he led the uh, team. Him and Mitch Williams both batted a thousand in that in nineteen ninety three. But, but L- LA's math is he, he gets a that was his fifth hit in eleven years. So he's batting four fifty five in LA math. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that 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 concept made it into my Hall of Fame. I'm well aware of how his what brain works. <laughs> so after this crazy year, assuming we get back to normalcy next year, which which one of these rules, if you were the commissioner, would you keep? Uh, 
think that I would be a guy who would be opposed to the extra inning rule. I actually really like it. I hope we keep it. And maybe that seems like sacrilege, but um, there's a couple reasons. One is just I, I, I think it's fun. Like every, everything about it is fun, and it's instant action. It's instant thinking along with the manager. It has turned out not to be we're just going to bun a lot. There's been very little of that. Uh, the strategy is cool, and everybody handles it differently. So I like I love all that. And somebody made the point that overtime in baseball tends to be the least interesting overtime in any sport. But not with this rule. It's not. It's really interesting. So I, I would keep it. I really would. How about the DH in the National League? You know, um, it, like many things in life, once you go down that road, it's hard to make a U-turn. Um, we we know we're heading in this direction anyway. And so to think that we would have it this year, not have it next year, and then go into the labor negotiations and come out of it with a universal DH again, I, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Here's one thing I would do. Uh, this would be the one way I would tweak the universal DH rule. Uh, I didn't invent this concept. Uh, this has been kicked around in baseball, but I've written about it several times. How about this? Every team gets to use the DH in both leagues, but when your starting pitcher comes out of that game, you lose your DH. Then, in the late innings, that introduces all the strategy from National League Baseball that we've always loved, right? And it's incentive to keep your starting pitcher in the game, which I think is I love that rule. The entertainment value. So I never wanted to pass anybody, boys, who didn't think it was a great idea. How about so the commissioner? You <laughs> Have you talked to the commissioner yet? All right, well, there's always him. <laughs> <laughs> that guy. <laughs> oh, him. Yeah, let's not go there. Jason, uh, here at Philly's Backstage, we like to put our guests in the time machine and go way, way back. And uh, so we're going to go back to when it was little boy Jason living in Northeast Philly. And, um, you know, what I love about your story, Jason, and it's just I think everybody can relate to it. Uh, and certainly when you were inducted into the Hall of Fame, I know you were telling your life story probably more times than you, you cared to in, in back, you know, back then. But um, but this whole idea that you know when you were a kid you wanted to be not just a sports writer you wanted to work at the Inquirer daily news and be the beat writer for the Phillies and look what happened you know it your dream came true so what uh, kind of uh, sparked that love of sport sports writing for little boy Jason back then in Northeast Philly yeah that's a great question I, you know I'm I, like I, I realized every day of my life that I'm one of the lucky people walking around the planet because I got to do exactly what I always dreamed of doing from the time I was old enough to dream about doing anything, really. Like, I didn't, I, I never dreamed about being a baseball player. I wanted to be a baseball writer. And, um, you know, I've told the story many times. I've told it in my Hall of Fame speech, but I had this photo hanging on my wall in my office and it's a photo of me and my sister Karen walking home from school we think that I was in fifth grade and she was in fourth grade right and underneath the photo there's this composition that she wrote in school about her brother the baseball nut and in the in this little piece of award-winning work there's a sentence that goes if you wanted to know a lot about baseball, my brother would be able to tell you. <laughs> wow. I was 10 years old. Right? <laughs> and it's like, it's so crazy to look at that. And every once in a while, like I'll walk by it and I'll read it and I'll think, this is nuts. How, like, how did this happen? How does somebody wind up dreaming of doing something at 10 years old? And then it happened in real life, but it happened to me. And, you know, I can explain the love of writing because my mom, June Stark, was a great writer and she infused me with that love of writing. 
you know, she read every word in the Inquirer and the old Philadelphia Evening Bulletin every day. Uh, and if she saw a piece of great sports writing, she made sure I read it. Like from the time I was really like a little kid. So I grew up reading the greatest sports writers in America, the great writers of Philadelphia. And so I, we can understand that part. The sports lover part, that just happened. You know, uh, I didn't I didn't grow up in a house full of rabid sports fans. Like we all like sports, you know, but then there was me. Um, and somehow, literally at like 10, 11 years old, I thought this would be a great thing to do when I become a grown-up. And so I'd go to games, bring my binoculars, and I would turn those binoculars around and train them on the press box, trying to figure out what the heck everybody was doing up there, because that's what I wanted to do. That's where I wanted to hang out. And boys, I'm going to say this again. This happened to me. Hmm. All right? It's so insane. Uh, how lucky am I? Then how did you develop, you know, as you advance in your career, you know, you've become almost synonymous with, you know, capturing the quirkiness of baseball, capturing the, you know, odd injuries, the stats that you had alluded to earlier, you know, really just kind of the, the baseball is such a fun game and it has so many just with all the numbers involved. And you've really done a great job of capturing all the different, you know, unique milestones. How did you kind of, and, and then also what I love about your writing too, is that you don't, you know, most of the writers gravitate towards the stars. You've always kind of gravitated towards those guys on the bench that are very witty that have a great <laughs> view in life, whether it's Larry Anderson, whether it's Casey Candell, whether it's Skip Schumacher, you know, DeRosa, Deshays. There's so many guys that you, Rich Donnelly, yeah. you know, the guys, Ralph Kiner, guys that, you, you, that you've just found like personality wise. How did you kind of develop that style? Uh, well, it, like you totally, I'm guilty of everything you just charged. Because when I walk into a locker room, hopefully I'll get to do that again sometime. Um, like my first question is, who's the funniest guy in the room? You know, because I'm going to go talk to that guy. Um, I love to laugh. Mentioned a couple times already that I grew up reading the great sports writers of Philadelphia. And one of the first things I noticed about reading them was, you, when you write about sports, you get to do stuff and say stuff that you wouldn't get to do anywhere else, covering anything else. And um, it's been kind of a thing in this town that the sports writers of Philadelphia made you laugh. Um, they had funny quotes from funny people. And I wanted to do that. And so I've always had that. I've always wanted to, to look at sports and re let everybody remember, it's fun. That's why we love it. It's supposed to be fun. And so that's where that part came from. Like my love of numbers and quirkiness, and we never saw that before. Um, that just kind of developed along the way. And I don't know how, again, I don't know how to explain anything <laughs> that's happened to me, but Somewhere along the line, it became my thing. And, you know, my, my mom always used to tell me that I should write a book and call it. I never saw that before. I still haven't written that book, but my whole career has kind of been that. Writing about that thing that we've never seen before. And, hey, it's, it's a living, boys. Yeah, it is. And, uh, you know, you're mentioning, you know, writers who, uh, you know, injected so, so much humor. And I know uh, back in your early career, you were or trying to uh, create a career, career. You were writing to Stan Hockman, who, of course, was one of my favorites. And for that reason, I love you guys both, both of your writing, because that humor just came through. Is that why you kind of uh, zeroed in on Stan to, to write and try to get some advice from him? <laughs> um why I, I picked Stan as a guy to write to. Um, I, th I had a lot of heroes. Stan was really high on the list. Uh, but, like, Stan was one of the, also one of the first writers who went into broadcasting. You know, so I, I, ha I, I think I had a feeling that I kind of knew Stan right before I ever really knew him. I think that had something to do with why I wrote to him, but 
like once I figured out, like I was really going to try to do this. I was a like teenager. I can't remember exactly how old I was. Probably seventeen, eighteen. I started writing to Stan just to ask him what he thought about this and what he thought about that. And like, something miraculous happened. He would write back to me. <laughs> he, nice. he took me seriously. You know, he, uh, he'd answered my questions about baseball. He'd answered my questions about sports writing. Um, and his kindness to me is something that continued later on in life when we actually got to know each other and work together. And like, he'll never know what that meant to me that he wrote back to me, but it's something that I never forgot. And it's something that I've always done when kids of all ages write to me and tell me, I want to do what you do, you know, or can you tell me something about this part of the sports writing or what do you think about that? And I've always done it. And, it's important you know, to pay it forward, to remember the people who help you and try to help the other people who come along after you. So Stan taught me that lesson. And it's one of the many things that I'll always be grateful to Stan for. But um, that's at the top of my list. It's why he was and remains one of my heroes. Jason, you mentioned uh, you love players with a uh, sense of humor or coaches with sense of humor or quirkiness, and there's probably no team that uh, personified that any better than the 1993 Phillies. Tell us what it was like covering Larry Anderson, John Cruck, Darren Dalton, Mitch Williams, the whole crew there. <laughs> I, I, I had fun covering that team, man. You know, like I, um, I don't know that the beat writers had that much fun, but at that point, I'd already been unleashed to write all my goofy, <laughs> my goofy columns about baseball, and that was a team that played and won a 20-inning game, and it wasn't even their latest game of that week. <laughs> right? that, was, that was the week of the, the 4.41 a.m. game. Yep. And um, I can still rem remember going to talk to L.A. Um, after the 20-inning game, and we were laughing about that, and he said, hey, this team does some of its best work between two and five in the morning. <laughs> we, we know that was literally true, but we're not going to get into these details. Right? <laughs> but there's just so many guys in that clubhouse who go to laugh with. Uh, it's my favorite thing to do when I walk into a clubhouse. Um, you know, I could always get LA going. Uh, I couldn't always get Cruck going, <laughs> but it was, it was always worth the effort if he happened to be standing there. Um, he was a hilarious man in a very low-key way. Mitch, I could always get going. Shill, like, I don't know, I don't know how to explain Shill, but he's been on the Phillies maybe four weeks, five weeks whatever it was, and he came and sought me out. He recognized me as somebody who he could spout off his funny quotes to or whatever kind of quotes he had on his mind, and I would write them down, you know? And so, like, to be in that clubhouse with that group of guys playing those insane games week after week through that magical season, like, I was born to cover that team, right? Yeah, you are. And, but you mentioned it could be tough. You had Macho Row. And, you know, Jason, they, they'd always, you know, go back to the trainer's room and hang out there. And so they weren't real accessible. But uh, talk a little bit about uh, Darren Dalton and what he meant uh, to that team and, you know, where he lies in terms of all-time just great clubhouse leaders. Yeah, if I was going to describe Dutch, uh, I mean, I'd start with these two words. Great man, great person, you know, it's great presence. Uh, like if you were talking to Darren Dalton, that, that was a good day, no matter what you were talking about. And all right, let's just talk about what he meant to those of us covering that team. Like he mentioned, this was a quotable bunch of people, but it wasn't like they were standing there at their lockers every night right. waiting to entertain us. Yeah. We often had to drag them out of the trainer's room if they could be dragged. 
And, you know, at a certain point, like, Darren took on the role of that guy who he understood when nobody else wanted to talk, he would do that. And he would even go into the trainer's room and, and bring guys out for it at times. It was incredible. And, like, you know, we can have conversations with him about what bugs them about us, but we could tell him what bugged us about them. And he could broker the peace when it came time to do that. Um, he, he, he was just a, uh, one of those special human beings who walks around the planet and everybody loves being in the same room as him. Yeah. Uh, everybody understands the respect that he could command of everyone. And no matter what your role was on the baseball team, no matter what your, your place was on the, on the, on the, the media spectrum, um, you could relate to him. He could relate to you. That's uh, just a really rare quality in life. Yeah, Jason, one of my favorite people in baseball, moving to the 2008 team, uh, and I'm sure it's one of your favorites, and I know it's one of Tom's, uh, Charlie Manuel. I remember I was down on the field two years ago during spring training when we had just gotten McCutcheon, and you went up to talk to Charlie, and I happened, just happened to be right there, and you said, hey, Charlie, what do you, what do you, said something like, what do you think about, uh, you know, uh, the acquisition of McCutcheon? He goes, tell you what, he goes, McCutcheon, he says, McCutcheon, and it's just, the beauty of Charlie, it's just the beauty of Charlie, right? And you, know, and you kind of, you kind of made, I don't I, you know, I love Charlie. I mean, I just love, love, love that man. Uh, what was it like covering, and what yeah. is it like just covering Charlie? I mean, what a great man. Yeah, me too. Uh, and like I, you know, I knew Charlie when he managed the Indians, right? So I, I probably had a head start in everybody else in this town because I, 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 you know, I already, I already knew him pretty well. But people, as you guys know, a long time to catch on to the special genius of Charlie. Yep. You know, uh, Charlie might have had some issues at times with the language of English, <laughs> but he never had trouble speaking the language of baseball. Yep, well, and, well put. Uh, there was like there was nothing that Charlie enjoyed more than speaking baseball with people who loved it as much as him. And um, there was a, I, I, I need to remember exactly when this was, but. Um, Charlie was, Charlie had, had just, what are we using? What is the terminology we're using? Stepped down as manager of the Phillies or whatever it was. And it was during the postseason. And I called to talk to him about something, some story I was working on. Um, and we went up talking for like two hours that day. Um, and, then that night, there was this incredible game between the, the Nationals and the Dodgers. And the next morning, I had to leave and get on a plane and, and go cover the first round or whatever series I was covering. And the phone rings, and it's like, boy, it's like 7 o'clock in the morning. And it's Charlie saying, Jason, how about that game last night, right? <laughs> <laughs> so he just needed to talk about it uh and so we talked for about 15 minutes i said charlie i gotta go get on a plane i could talk to you all day literally and he said hey man i just want to thank you for that phone call yesterday you literally made my whole week that i just called to talk to him about baseball and charlie's just one of those he's one of those creatures of baseball you know i don't know that we would look at charlie in other walks of life or other sports and have an understanding of exactly how he fit and what made him special. But he fits baseball because it's been his whole life. There's nothing he loves more than to watch baseball, be around a ballpark, uh, talk about baseball. Guy who would go home after managing a game, 
and watch baseball all night until there were no more games, right? If it meant watching until three in the morning, he would do that because that's his love of baseball. And just to, to be around him and to, 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 to bask in the wisdom of Charlie, one of the honors of my career, really. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome, Jason. And well, when you first started with the Inquirer in 1979, uh, let's talk about a, a difference, you know, between managerial styles, you know, because in 1980, you had Dallas Green <laughs> to, you know, I, I can't imagine just being a young, you know, sports writer, you're thrown into that mix of veterans with Pete Rose and Mike Schmidt and Steve Carlton, who's, you know, not talking to anybody. And then Dallas Green, who is this mercurial, uh, you know, personality. And, uh, I know you had your run run-ins with him, but a little different than Charlie, right, Jason? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a little, the whole team was a little different experience, but, um, uh, I love covering Dallas. Uh, he was one of my favorite people I've ever covered, not just in the Phillies, but any team. Um, I, there's never a day that would go by where you wouldn't learn something from being around Dallas. And it could be a rough ride. Uh, this was, an, there was another famous moment in my career that made it into my Hall of Fame speech. Uh, you guys would like me to tell the story of the bleep you, Jason yes. tirade? Yes, please. I'm happy to do that. <laughs> Encouraged. Okay? But, um, all right, let's, let's set the scene. Now, like Dallas and I had a, had a really good relationship. This is kind of the preamble, right? I was that guy in the press bo- press corps who could kind of make them laugh, make them smile, lighten the mood. There were many times <laughs> where that was very helpful. Okay? So uh, let's fast forward now to 1981. All right? Now he's already managed the team that won the World Series. He was a legend in this town. Um he would say what's on his mind. Everybody knew that. So what happened in the middle of the 1981 season? There was a strike for two months. And after this strike ended, um, baseball decided it was going to split the season in two. So if you're in first place when the strike hit in June, which I w- that would describe the Phillies, you were already in the playoffs. So it occurred to Dallas, very early on that here he was managing a team that had two months left in the season but nothing to play for it was already in the playoffs and I don't know how many times he used the expression the split bleeping season <laughs> but <laughs> like the way he said it he kind of understood like he was not not a fan of the format, right? So uh, now the strike in, players come back. Not everybody was in great shape. At least the pitchers seemed like they'd been throwing, so he was at least kind of hoping that would be enough to get them back into the, the, the rhythm of playing baseball. And now the St. Louis Cardinals come to town uh, to resume the season, the split bleeping season. And over the next three games, the pitchers give up 23 runs. And the third game is, I want to say, an 11-3 game that Cardinals win. Mm. And we go downstairs to talk to Dallas. This is not a time when post-game managerial press conferences were TV shows. Okay, (laughs) We would have to go into the manager's office and sit there. And like one look at Dallas's face after this game, and everybody was terrified to ask a question. <laughs> but this is where I came in because, as I mentioned, I was a guy who could usually make the manager smile. I would, I could lighten the mood. And so I've been listening to a week of well, at least the pitchers are ahead of the hitters. So I said. You think this means the pitchers aren't ahead of the hitters anymore? Okay. So he looks at me and he goes, Bleep you, Jason. Okay. And now he, he begins to talk, if that's the right word for it. 
uh, nobody had to ask a question for the next three minutes because he had some thoughts. He went on for three minutes nonstop, loudly, okay? And there was there were 42 words in this tirade that you are never going to hear on, like, SpongeBob. <laughs> Many bleeps followed. Um, way. Hey, uh, Jason. One of the greatest sentences. Yes. Good. Hello? Yeah, I think you cut okay, it. Yeah, yeah cut you faded on a, uh, for a second. But yeah, go ahead, Jason. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, along the way, he uttered one of the greatest sentences ever uttered by any manager I've ever heard. Here it goes. There's going to be a lot of bleeps in here, okay? I want bleeping stocks, all the bleeping bull bleep about how bleeping horse bleep this bleeping split bleeping season is. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great what quote. A that's... <laughs> right. that's... And that's kind of how it went for the next three minutes, right? Oh. And it was so loud that everybody could hear it. But at one point, he left his office, walked into the clubhouse, looked around to make sure everybody was listening, came back and picked right up. <laughs> this, goes, this goes on. And I realized something about halfway through it. Like, it seemed, if you didn't know better, that it was directed at me. But I realized it, he just needed somebody to ask something, <laughs> anything. So he could get this off his bleeping chest. He was right. almost like winking at me halfway through it. And the, the the genius of Dallas was you could be on the wrong end of one of these tirades. And he would never hold a grudge. Like he was, he would turn the page so fast and then you were fine again. You hmm. were great. So halfway through the tirade, the Leap you, Jason Tyrade. He was over it. <laughs> and uh, okay, here's the great epilogue of the story, and then I'll, I'll let it go. Uh, a few weeks later, I realize he's he's trying to get me to do this again. He's trying to get me to ask him something. <laughs> he can go off again, and I'm on to him. And I said, look, I know you're up to something here. I'm not going there. I'm not doing this and then I can't remember exactly what the circumstances were but uh, Ralph Bernstein was a long time AP sports writer in this town and Ralph asked Dallas a question and Dallas said bleepity bleep Ralph that's worse than that bleeping <laughs> question Jason asked and Ralph just fell right into his trap <laughs> question was that and Dallas, at that point, breaks into a big smile. He opens his desk drawer and he starts combing through the uh, inner workings of his desk, grabs something inside his desk, and throws it his, across his office at me. <laughs> and I open it up. T-shirt. And it says, Bleep You, Jason. Nice. And That's great. I, I, still, I still have it. Oh, yeah. I hope you do. Don't tell my wife. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Hey Jason, also yeah, I know one, I love that guy. one of the things you love talking about too is strange injuries uh, that occur. And in baseball, you certainly have a lot of strange injuries. What are some of your favorites? Not Phillies related, or it could be Phillies related, but throughout baseball. Um, and was that did John Smoltz really burn himself ironing a shirt that he was actually wearing? Is that true, or is that uh, urban legend? Hey, I'm I'm glad you wrote about this. I, I'm, sorry, I'm sorry, I'm glad you asked about this. Because this is uh, this is a one of the most famous injuries ever, and it never happened. I actually, asked most about it. Remember, I used to host that story show on Stadium. Yep. We I did one with him. <laughs> I said I asked him, "Did this happen?" And he said, "Come on, I'm not that." <laughs> For going's done it. He's an Atlanta Brave. I figured, you know, I wouldn't put it past him. You did? No. (laughs) No, no, no. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so so that one never happened. Um, What are are my favorites? Um, 
I mean, LA, LA got injured, didn't he? Doing something ridiculous. LA, L, LA had a uh, he had a, a world famous jacuzzi, right? He uh, remember this? LA, he was not a Philly at the time, but he he injured himself theoretically emerging from a jacuzzi. <laughs> okay, so, <laughs> we're gonna go with that, okay? But. <laughs> He told me that that should be called a jacuzzi tusion. <laughs> jacuzzi tusion. Oh boy. We 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 have had a bunch of we've had a bunch of suitcase injuries. Um, like Salvador Salvador Perez a few years ago, right? He uh, he arrived home from a road trip. Um, was carrying his suitcase up the stairs and uh, landed funny and tore his. MCL, uh, my my longtime friend Rich Griffin, who's now the PR guy of the Blue Jays, used to have a term for that, Samsonitis. <laughs> Samsonitis. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, cr- uh, yeah. Crux sometimes would say he had the Bud- Budweiser flu. <laughs> when it's a, uh, you know, it's a t- he's having a tough morning and maybe a little groggy. It's the Budweiser flu. Kind of a different strain. Yeah, it is. Yes, Um, it is. Self inflicted. (laughs) Jason, I know we're going to get into uh, your quiz, but before we do, um, and you and I have talked about this, Jason, but uh, I don't know if John really knows this. There was an article that you wrote that um, in talking with the president of the Hall of of Fame in Cooperstown, you know, because I always talk to him, Jason, uh, he said this was the article that actually got you inducted. And I just want to read this for John, okay? So here you go. This is just the first paragraph. Some people would say the greatest invention of the century was the car. Some would say the computer. Then, of course, there's the toaster oven. (laughs) But just this month, we have witnessed an invention right here in our midst that has to rank in at least the top five of all time. We are referring to what else? The Philly Fanatics hot dog launcher. Jason Stark wrote <laughs> wrote those uh, inspirational words in 1996. And that the, launched him in the future to the Hall of Fame. Into the Hall of Fame. Yeah, wow. that was the article that yeah. did it. Right, Jason? It was some launching. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, like, I, I look at this, that particular column, as as a breakthrough in my career, um, I revealed something that had yet had not yet dawned on the rest of civilization <laughs> that the greatest invention since the light bulb was in their midst, and they never even noticed. It was just me and the fanatic <laughs> and like here's the proof that this was accurate. Did I ever get one angry letter from Thomas Edison? Never heard from him. No. And, you know, Eli... Eli Whitney, I think the cotton gin. You know, we never heard from Eli either. No. and and people, some people thought that that was the greatest. Invasion. Jason, did you know that the hot dog launcher <laughs> also had uh, because of the hot dog launcher that uh, we actually had the bomb squad here and they, uh, had to, they had to clear the evacuate the ballpark, including all employees. Yeah. Tom, would you like to tell him that story? Uh, you remember that? I, this is one of my favorites. This is one of my favorite stories. Please tell it. Oh my gosh! Yeah, because you were down here uh, when that happened, Jason. Uh, no, but I like we have talked about this. Yeah. Well, uh, it was when I rode around and launched hot dogs with the fanatic. Yes. Um, I, I, you know, I tried to get a little background, and we. So you were telling me about the the launcher and how high powered it was, and I asked you <laughs> the, the faithful question: Have you ever actually launched a hot dog out of the stadium? And you said. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. And, we, and that led to this story. The story of we were filming a, com- a commercial with Smiley the Pig was down here with the Fanatic, and we were filming a commercial during the day uh, with the hot dog launcher. And, nah, we just thought when the commercial shoot was done, we thought we'd have a little fun, and let's see how far we can you know, shoot this thing. So we ramped it up, and we were shooting them right out of the ballpark. And uh, you know, we were done the, the shoot. 
uh, now it's about five o'clock and there's a commotion in front of my office. Uh, I'm like, you know, I, something's up. I, I don't know what's up. And somebody pokes their head into my office and said, oh, you didn't hear there's a bomb scare. I'm like, oh my gosh, a bomb scare. Yeah, they're getting ready to, uh, they haven't opened the gates. It's five o'clock. We're not opening the <laughs> gates. They're getting ready to, to uh, get the players out of the clubhouse. I put on Action News, John. At, at, I put it on. I mean, this is no lie. This is exactly what happened. I put on uh, the TV in my office. It's Action News and it's the top story. They have a reporter in front of Citizen Bank Park saying, yep, the bomb squad's on its way. Apparently, they found three oblong packages wrapped in <laughs> duct tape, tape. <laughs> duct tape right. <laughs> which is exactly how we wrap our hot dogs. <laughs> and uh, so I ran down to Dave Buck's office and said, Dave, it's, it's not, they're not, it, they're hot dogs. It's, it's not a bomb. They're hot dogs. And uh, it was, it, it, it was too late. He tried to call down to Mike Stiles and Bonnie Clark who were down dealing with the media, dealing with the cops. And it was too late. They detonated three hot dogs on Patterson Avenue. Right. And we were all, we all had to evacuate out on the yeah, street. Yeah. All the employees. Yeah, so I, I have heard, uh, you know, every Christmas party, Jason down here, I, somebody usually brings that up and nobody will let that go. Nobody will let that go. <laughs> Nor should they. <laughs> Let's hope. Yeah, right. let, let, let's hope that one lives forever. <laughs> All right, Jason, are you ready for your quiz? And obviously you're not because I, you didn't know you were getting a quiz. <laughs> so <laughs> I will go back. I can't wait. Go ahead. What I wanted to do, I wanted to give you actually there's when I'm when I golf uh, or if someone starts doing trivia there, I do have two of my own favorite trivia questions, which I was going to give you, but then I, it doesn't go into the, Tom said, you got to have multiple choice. Cause I was yes. going to say the, the two players that lead their respective franchises in singles, doubles, triples, and home runs. I don't know if you've ever heard that one. Um, but there are two franchises that have one guy that uh, is the all time leader in singles, doubles, triples, and home runs. It used to be three until Ryan Braun became the home run leader. Uh, cause Robin Yount was the all time for the Brewers. <laughs> But the other two are. Do you know? Do you know who the one of the two are? Or two? I would. I would say Willie Mays has to be one. No, Willie Mays is not. Uh, believe it or not, it's Stan Musial and George Brett. But that's not part of the quiz, Jason. I'm just. I'm just <laughs> warm, I'm warming you up. A little prelude. <laughs> okay, okay. All right. You have eight questions. Yeah. Again, these questions are um, all. It, it's centered around basically your life, I guess, a little bit. Uh, Tie-in, and uh, we usually <laughs> the bar we set is to get six out of eight, and just not to put pressure on you. But Jim Salisbury, did he get seven out of eight seven last time? Seven out of eight. He went for seven Jim. out of eight. So not putting any pressure on you. But uh, our last guest, Jim Salisbury, <laughs> did get seven of eight. Oh. But I, but I think you'll do well. So we'll. And again, it's multiple choice. And does Jason get anything, John? I think we're. I think our uh, our prize yeah, closet is empty. Why don't you get him a, a wrapped hot dog? With duck, <laughs> okay, duck there it is. <laughs> from last from last year because we haven't done it this. Year, so it'll be a little bit petrified, yeah, but exactly. all right, we'll get you something yeah, there, good. There, there's still three, there were still three <laughs> leftover hot dogs from my ride on the field. <laughs> did so you keep I'm one, sure Jason? I hope you kept one. I didn't. No, 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 no. Okay. I, I will launch them, but eating them, I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I always start with these questions. It's always around the high school and college, so I'll start with your college first. So, number one, first question. Which celebrity did not, not go to Syracuse? Okay, I'm going to name four celebrities. One of them did not go to Syracuse. Uh, A, actor Jerry Stiller. B, rock star Lou Reed. C, match game 76 legend Nipsey Russell. Or D, actor Peter Falk. <laughs> uh, I know the answer to this so you one. You got Jerry Stiller, Lou Reed, <laughs> Nipsey <laughs> Russell, and Peter Falk. <laughs> Do you know, screwed up question that is. I, I'm going to go with Nipsey. Nipsey Russell's yes. correct. Now, if you listen to our show, the reason why Tom's laughing is uh. I always throw in somebody from Match Game 76 as the wrong answer, whether it's Charles Nelson Riley, yeah. Brett Summers, Bill Cullen, uh, anybody of our age will know who I'm, what I'm talking about. All right. You are one for one. Very good. All right. Now, you also went to Lincoln High right? Uh, in the Northeast. So I'm going to give you four, four people that went to Lincoln high, didn't have to graduate, just had to go to Lincoln high. Um, <laughs> so a Chuck Barris, gong show host, uh, B 1980s model Gia Karangi, C Larry Cannon, who was a fifth overall pick in the 1969 NBA draft or D Sylvester Stallone. So you've got Chuck Barris. Okay. Well, I know that Larry, I know that Larry Cannon and alone went there. So now you're down to uh, 1980s model go, Gia Karangi and Chuck I, Barris. I'm going with Chuck. Chuck Barris. That's correct. Chuck Barris, uh, he went to Lower Marion, I believe. So uh, you are two for two. How about that? All right. How about it? 
Now, I mentioned one of your favorite players that you've quoted throughout the years is Casey Kandel, right? Where did he go to college? Did he go to A, Cal State Fullerton, B, University of Arizona, C, University of Texas, or D, UCLA? Really? Because he's only covered Arizona. about a million Arizona players. Arizona is correct. Bang. You are on a roll. Jason. Three for three. All right. Now, wow. this one, you're going to have no idea, but you're, it's going to have to be strictly a guess. But I know you're a big Avid. You were both Avid Brothers fans, right? Um, Huge. Yeah. Yep. So uh, I you probably didn't know that the Fanatic starred in a commercial featuring this song. We actually, I went with the Fanatic yep. and a couple other people. We went up to... Uh, the famous Capitol Theater uh, up in New York, and uh, and actually watched this video over and over and over uh, being filmed, was the song A, I in Love and You, B, Kick Drum Heart, C, Ain't No Man, or D, True Sadness? I in Love and You, Kick Drum Heart. Ain't No Man and True Sadness. The fanatic dance to this song on the video that we showed when we were promoting the, the fact that the Ava Brothers will be playing at Citizens Bank Park. Which one are you going with? Uh, I'll go Ain't No Man. Ain't No Man. Yes, you it's four for four. Four for four. All right. Roll. All right, here we go. Rich, <laughs> Rich Donnelly is another one of your favorites, right? Uh, not sure if you know this oh, one, yeah. but he is rated in the top five players over 50 in the U.S. in what sport? Uh, is it A, pickleball, B, squash, C, curling, D, racquetball? I know this one. Squash. Ooh, no, it's racquetball. Uh, maybe oh, unless it's racquetball, right. Oh, it's racquetball. All right. that? I'll give it to you because you yeah, meant racquetball. He meant racquetball. We, 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 I, we're going to go with what I, you meant. Like I, I, I totally knew that. Yes, we're going <laughs> to give it to you. We're giving it to you. So, all right, you're on a roll, Jason. Yeah, we talked about this many times. Okay. On a roll. Yeah. All right, which player, we talked about injuries, which player dislocated their shoulder attempting to rip up phone books? Okay, was it A, Steve Sparks? You don't have to, don't have to go through oh. Yeah, Steve Sparks. Steve Sparks, all right, on a roll. I was brought that up with my, when you asked about the greatest injuries of all time. And then I would have to come up with another trivia question on, on the spot. <laughs> all right, Jason, you, we have never had someone go eight for eight. No. Okay, so you have two, you have two yeah, more chances. All right. Uh, number five revolves around the Fanatic. So um, I don't know if you know this, but the Fanatic has been uh, to five of the seven continents. Um, name the continent that the Fanatic has not made an appearance. A, Europe. B, South America. C, Australia. D, Africa. So you have Europe, South America, Australia, or Africa. The Fanatic has not been. He's been to three of those. Okay. I would South America, I'm sure you've been there. Well, he's from the Galapagos Islands. Yeah, uh, he's like, per- wait, is this is it, is this to perform or just to yeah, he's, he's perform? He's perform, perform, yes, he's performed. Yeah, perform. Okay, so I have to think. Right, where where is their baseball? Okay. So Europe is baseball. South America is baseball. Australia is baseball. It would make sense then that Africa would be the one. All right, you're on a roll. If you get this last question. Then you will be the wow. only one of our guests, and this is our third season. So the many guests, uh, you will achieve history right here. So, and it involves Bruce Springsteen's. I know you're a hmm. huge Bruce Springsteen fan. Okay, which year? All, all, all sports writers are required to be Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> exactly. Which year did Bruce Springsteen appear on the covers of both Time and Newsweek in the same week? Oh. Okay, what year did Bruce Springsteen appear on the covers of Time and Newsweek in the same week? Was it A, 1973, B, 1975, C, 1980, D, 2011? <laughs> uh, so 73, 75, 80, or 2011, and there's history waiting on this answer. All right, it was in the 70s. 73 or 75. Tom Burgoyne is pantomime. He doesn't know the answers, and Tom Burgoyne is pantomime. Yeah, you got to get this one, Jason. Okay. Uh, 
I'm going with 1975. Yeah, 75. You are eight for eight. That's when a Border New World came out. Record. Oh, whoa. Yes. New World Record. Whoa. Jason Stark. Very impressive. Now you should get that because you are the king of trivia. So, <laughs> but very good. We are very impressed. I Jack Shore. I thought Jack Shore was the king of wow. trivia. Wow. <laughs> he is. He's. He's. You know, he, it's way better. It's way better. To ask the trivia than to answer the trivia. Yeah, isn't that the truth? The, the multiple. Cho- the multiple choice really helps. This is, this might be the highlight of my career. I thought that riding around and launching hot dogs with Fnatic was the highlight of my career. Well, now you have a new one. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, uh, Jason. Anytime, I'm, ara- anytime I'm, I'm around Tom Burgoyne. <laughs> History is made. History is made. I like that. Oh, I like that. We, yeah, we usually end it on the trivia question, uh, but I have to ask you this because my son, Andrew, last night uh, told me about this and I'm like, oh my gosh, we're talking to Jason today. I got to ask you this. Did you know, and John, I don't know if you know, last uh, week, um, the, the last number issued to a player for his jersey number by MLB and the history of MLB was issued. Did, did you see this? Jason, I, I heard about it. <laughs> oh, you did. Oh, I'm sorry. Number, eight, number, number 89 would be the correct answer. Yeah. And who was that player? Miguel. I don't even know this guy. Miguel. Miguel. Yeah, guy, the guy the Yankees just called up. Yeah. Yeah. Jury. I, I, here's the thing. I, I, yeah, I wrote about that. 89 was the last number left. And then that, that night, this guy wore the number. Hmm. So, Pronouncing it, <laughs> yeah. I haven't, I haven't figured out the pronunciation yet, but I know the number. Hey, Jason, hey, no, Jason, you got to get a nine for eight now. <laughs> no, you got to get, get a life. The fact that you knew that going in that, hey, you know, n- number 89 hasn't been u- used yet in the history of MLB. <laughs> but they, I guess going you know in. How much, <laughs> what? <laughs> how much ridiculous minutia is rattling around my brain? I know. It's crazy. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> it's really great. I, I say all the time, I need, I need to defragment my hard drive. <laughs> There's some stuff up there taking up space. What the heck? <laughs> Don't forget to take out the the trash on Monday nights, right? As long as you remember that, and then you got all that other stuff rolling around in there. But yeah, I got, I got my phone to remind me of that. Jason, we uh, this that's why we love you because your brain is just uh, something we can't figure out. There's uh, you know, and uh, we love what comes out of it. <laughs> and I had no idea. <laughs> I, I, I had no idea that John was going to ask you a Bruce Springsteen question because when it, it's so true, when I think, and John can, uh, I think he'd agree with this. Like when we read your articles and you see kind of that passion, it comes through and, and the joy and, and you can, it's like going to a Bruce Springsteen concert. You, you watch him up on stage and you go, man, that guy loves what he's doing. And when we read Jason Stark, it's like, yep. well, that guy loves what he's doing. Exactly right. Tom, John, uh, I can't tell you how much that means to me. Um, there, there is nothing that makes me feel better than when somebody like you two tells me that. Um, that it's just clear how much I love what I do, how much I, I love baseball, and how that love shines through and other people feel it, come away with that feeling after they read it. Like, that's what I am all about in what I do in life. And I, I gravitate toward people like you. And it's just an honor to be on this podcast, an honor to call you guys my friend. And I can't tell you how much I've enjoyed doing this. Ah, thanks, Jason. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks a lot, Jason. John, this was one of our best. It is definitely the best. All so right. Appreciate it, Jason. Thanks, Jason. We're going to sign off, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.